Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Jamestown Mayor Eddie Sunquist delivered his annual State of the City Address on January 30th. It detailed a number of items, including allocations of American Rescue Plan funds, enhancements to public safety, and more. We welcome Mayor Sunquist to our studios to discuss more about that address. So good morning. Hey, good morning, Julia. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So while listeners can read and watch the full address online, what would you pick out as highlights of your address? Oh, you know, a lot of the address uh, focused on the 2022 accomplishments. We've had quite a year with uh, doling out almost $23 million in American Rescue Plan funds uh, to opening up the only two emergency shelters in all of Chautauqua County to help with our homeless population. Uh, to starting an initiative with refugees to bring in new Americans uh, to our city. Uh, we had quite the year, quite the banner year, and uh, we were very excited and wanted, I wanted to be able to share that with the community. You know, we often talk about the bad things that come up uh, as, as they come up, but we've really done an incredible job in improving public safety with an increase in our police force to kind of full force, which was really great. Um, increasing our firefighters, right? Uh, being able to uh, better serve our EMS uh, uh, processes here in the city to, uh, you know, just dealing with uh, the budget, right, and the finances. The city's probably in its best fiscal position it's been in, in decades, and that's something that we wanted and that I wanted the public to know. All right. And one of the things that was in your address when we were talking about um, the EMS, which I actually know it's not an EMS thing. It was a Medicare thing. Yeah. It was a program that would, mm-hmm. had been offered to retirees. Is this a program that you're anticipating to be continuing to offer to retired city employees? Well, let's break down the program just, just briefly, because this can get a little complicated. So if you're on Medicare, chances are you're already receiving social security or you're on a, you receive a, you pay a certain function of that already in your social security payments to the government. Uh, so many of our retirees that have health care for life, we're not only paying that portion to the government, but also paying the full premium uh, for city health care. What we found when we brought together and created a health care committee made up of our retirees, our active members, our city council members, and our staff, was that there were other plans out there that in many cases were even greater than the services that they already get from the city's health care uh, and would cost them uh, very little. Right. So the healthcare committee came up with a, a plan for Medicare eligible employees where if they switch to this new plan, uh, they would get all the current benefits that they already have and they would pay zero dollars in a premium for the first five years. After that five years, they were going to be locked into a premium that it was when they started the plan. So if you think about it, your healthcare premiums normally go up. In any uh, situation, most companies, they go up even a little bit each year. So for our retirees, our Medicare-eligible retirees, to know that their premium amount after five years is locked in was huge. 
but even more so that they're saving that premium and getting health care for five years for free. And you had a good number of folks who signed up for it. I, I'm not recalling the amount that you saved in the city budget for uh, in 2022 for 2023. Do you recall those figures? Absolutely. We had over 60% of our eligible population sign up for the Medicare plan. Uh, under the Medicare plan, they can go back to the traditional plan after one year. Uh, at this point, we've had no, uh, no eligible retiree return back to the plan. They've all stayed on it. Uh, in return, not only have we saved that retiree thousands of dollars, but the city last year alone saved $1.6 million on that plan. And that, is that a reoccurring amount that's saved or is that just like that one-time shot? No, that's going to be a recurring amount uh, because what would happen is if you're a normal employee on our plan, the city picks up a large portion of the employer costs for that plan. Uh, so let's say your plan is, let's say that a normal person, is, the, their premium amount is really about $600 a month for a plan. The city picks up about $500 of it and you as an employee pay about $100 a, a month, right? And so that's what was happening. Uh, but the same thing goes for Medicare. Uh, if you're on a specialty Medicare plan, what happens is that premium amount is not $600 for the city. It's $300 for the city because the government subsidizes the other portion of it. So we've already not only saved on the premium, but we then picked up the uh, retirees cost to help them transition to that plan. Uh -huh. And so, and to go back to my first question, so is this an ongoing um, offering to retirees? So far, this is going to be the second year that we've offered it. Uh, we were very pleased that the healthcare committee wanted to offer it again. Uh, from what we're hearing and talking with that committee, is that they are looking to continue it for the next couple of years, although you might not get a full five years free. I think they might start reducing that. Uh, but they wanted the second year to encourage it again. And as I mentioned, with over 60% taking it, that's that's a lot. And that's it, it not only helps, because as a reminder to your listeners, the city is a self-insured plan. So if you go to the doctor and the doctor charges you whatever, right? You pay your copay, and the rest, the city picks up the entire bill. Right, we're not we're not under a fully insured plan. It's the city paying that bill. Mm -hmm. In terms of other, I mean, you had a lot of accomplishments that you mentioned in the uh, state of the city address. Uh, you did get into some of your goals. Uh, what are some of those goals that you're looking forward to do this year? Well, we're really excited to continue moving forward on the municipal broadband program, uh, the municipal fiber program. Uh, in fact, the state just released its executive budget for the next fiscal year, uh, and it includes a significant amount of monies for broadband uh, and allows cities to do so, which is really great. Uh, so we're working trying to go through that process right now. Other goals going into next year is we're really just we're focused on dealing with housing uh, across the city. Uh, as I had mentioned in the State of the City speech over the last year, we've been able to repair almost 500 homes in the city. That's sewer laterals, that is roofs, that is improvements to senior citizens. So we focused on those that are senior citizens and low income, and we've been able to make incredible improvements using uh, federal rescue plan funds. We want to continue that into next year uh, and to continue doing uh, more programs that help and improve our neighborhoods. And we're really focused on ensuring the city continues moving forward and uh, modernizes in the way it does business. One uh, 
program that is supposed to help with housing, this residential home improvement incentive program that was funded by city council and it hasn't gotten off the ground yet, I think in terms of it being opened up for applications. Do you anticipate that's one of the programs that will be opened up this year? It is. In fact, we have just talked about it yesterday uh, to, uh, to set that program in motion. The rules are already uh, created, the guidelines for the program, and so we just need to roll it out. Uh, unfortunately, those programs are done through our assessor's office, and they have a very limited staff. So we were trying to roll out the senior program first, which had a huge impact, well over 300 homes that have been impacted by it. Uh, so that's moving along. And so now we're getting ready to release the uh, residential home improvement program, uh, which is really a cash rebate for making improvements to your home. Who's going to be eligible for that program? So that'll be eligible for uh, any homeowner that uh, lives in their home, or if it's a multi-unit, as long as you live in one of the units, you're going to be eligible for that program. And that's it? There's no income eligibility? There's no income eligibility. Uh, You just have to show that you're making a certain amount of improvements. The more improvements you make, the more of the cost of your improvements, the more of a cash rebate you'll get back. Right. I imagine that we'll be seeing that coming before City uh, Council as well, probably for their approval in some way. I don't know if they have to. It's already already been approved. So we'll uh, we'll just be pushing out the information to City Council, asking for any changes to the guidelines uh, before it goes out. Uh, And then we'll be uh, doing a public push for that. That's great news, I'm sure, for a lot of folks here. Uh, so speaking of city council, um, some you know council members did have uh, an opportunity where they shared their thoughts on uh, your state of the city address. And there were some concerns about the focus on cannabis. And so do you have a plan to give a status update to council on what is happening with the cannabis industry here in Jamestown? You know, I've had some great conversations with uh, Tony Dulce, the council president, about it, who's been uh, actively going out and learning more about, the, about cannabis and how it's going to impact the city and how it's impacted other cities. Uh, you know, we're certainly able to provide some update to uh, to the council. The, really, the issue that we have is that the state has not moved, right? So we've we have folks on the line that are ready to renovate buildings and do some large scale growing, but none of that's really in play until the state uh, creates those licenses and issues those licenses. So for your listeners right now, there's a lawsuit that prevents uh, licenses from being issued uh, in Western New York and a few other places across the state. That's why you're only seeing cannabis licenses right now in downstate, mostly New York City. Until that lawsuit is settled, uh, we're kind of sitting here waiting for those licenses uh, to be issued. And the state has uh, pushed out regulations, and by that I mean they've pushed out for comment. And that process usually takes about 60 days for a comment period and then an additional amount of days uh, to revise those regulations. As a city, we've been working closely with the Cannabis Board to uh, push back on a few of the regulations uh, because the uh, regulations are really made for larger cities. And a place like Jamestown, uh, it really could uh, hamper uh, potential growth opportunities. Uh, But we have been working hand-in-hand with a bunch of organizations, a few dispensaries that are looking at the city of Jamestown. But we've really focused on the cannabis industry as just that, an industry. And it has a lot of ancillary needs. So we've been focusing on the packaging industry. How can we utilize the companies we have here to package and ship cannabis? We've been looking at banking. Right, We have a local bank here, one of the very few in New York State that is willing to bank cannabis, which is an incredible program that we've been working with on. Uh, We've been talking about insurance. uh, And we've also been talking just about growing, right? Because there's such a unique opportunity for indoor growth, hydroponic growth, uh, or other types of growing opportunities here in the city. 
given our our low cost of electric, which is needed for lighting, our low cost of water, which is as you know, needed for plant growth, uh, as well as just a low cost of uh, a low cost of real estate, which uh, can be easily rehabbed. And thinking about the growing now, that's one area that's not included in that lawsuit, correct? Where there have been licenses given to um, local businesses in the Jamestown area and in, and in the city of Jamestown for growing, right? Absolutely. So the Chautauqua, in Chautauqua County, Jamestown has the majority, if not all of the licenses for growing currently. Uh, in, in particular, I think there's about three active grow licenses here in the city uh, or right outside of the city, uh, all operating in the city limits uh, in various industrial areas. Uh, but those uh, large-scale growers have yet to be authorized. So these are all smaller growers, mostly ones that were growing hemp originally. Uh, and so they're now branching out a little bit more to do kind of micro-growers uh, and those that may have more of a unified uh, supply system. But we're still waiting on some of the larger growth opportunities. Uh, and we're also working hand-in-hand -hand with the community college about testing opportunities, right? Because remember, under the law, every single ounce of cannabis needs to be tested. And there are only about two labs, two or three labs across New York State. So we're working to try to find a way to develop some of the workforce around testing so that Jamestown really is created as an innovation center for the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And that's something that was being worked on also with, was it Niagara University? Yes, JCC uh, won a grant with Niagara University as well as a couple other ones. Uh, we were very excited to be able to recommend them to the program. We're so excited when they when they actually were made part of the award. Uh, and they're doing some really incredible things in terms of development uh, in the cannabis sphere. And we're very excited to have them as a partner. Right. Uh, well, the city didn't opt out, obviously, of allowing dispensaries or on-site consumption establishments. There are some ways that a city or municipality can regulate the businesses, from what I understand. And I know that the, there was funding using American Rescue Plan funds for doing the zoning update, and I think the comprehensive plan. Is there, Are you looking at part of that process, including some zoning requirements for the cannabis industry? So we're not looking at cannabis industry specifically. The zoning uh the zoning plan update and the comprehensive plan update is really to, to update zoning laws that are that are still there from the 1960s, right? Most communities have updated those because times have changed, right? Where you build things are very different uh, in our community than they were in 1960. So we're really looking at this as an opportunity to change the way we look at um, where can we build homes? How do we build homes? How do we build buildings? Where can we rehab or save homes? And this is a really unique opportunity. On top of that, we're also looking at, you know, there is a rise in urban uh, agriculture, urban farming uh, that has occurred. And so we've gotten a lot of people that have been interested in, in changing the zoning for that. Uh, currently, as you know, there is a restriction on uh, certain gardens, community gardens, right? Uh, you can't technically have one in your backyard. Uh, so it's, it's a bit outdated. And so we want to be able to update those things as the times have changed. Uh, and that's really the, the idea behind zoning is that it, it, it continues to evolve uh, throughout the U.S. And we should be evolving with it. Uh, so, but there will be some specifics on it. We'll understand where you can, uh, you know, kind of where you can sell and, and where you can grow, things like that. Right now, those are limited to manufacturing areas because it's a manufacturing component, right? Anywhere that agriculture or manufacturing is allowed, growing will be allowed. Uh, but we have to address some of those issues. 
Uh, now, I will say that uh, under the law, cities can only regulate time, place, and manner, right? We can't regulate anything else that would, that the state will take care of uh, for us. So we can regulate the time dispensaries are open. We can regulate a bit about locations in terms of zoning. Uh, and we can uh, do a little bit about the manner of how they go about it, right? Uh, but most of that's going to come from the state. Mm-hmm. And when you mentioned that the, the uh, zoning plan hasn't been updated since the 1960s, yeah, that's, that was a very long time ago. And and before uh, the urban renewal down in Brooklyn Square, so if you want to think about major parts of the city having dramatic changes since since the last time the zoning was approved, I, yeah, I, assuming that those didn't coincide at the same time, that is quite a, a long time for the, the plan to be updated. There's certainly been updates along the way, kind of, uh, you know, spot areas that we've updated. But the reality is that there are a lot of things have changed. For example, if you wanted to build a smaller home, a tiny home, that is against the code in the city of Jamestown. We have a lot of conversations about this uh, and a lot of talk about how, you know, mm-hmm. some of our outdating housing stock could be fixed with smaller homes. And we've, we've actually gone out and, and met with other uh, communities and companies that do a bit smaller homes than what we're normally used to uh, and put them on vacant lots and kind of uh, build them. Uh, and so we've talked about that conversation. You know, how can we revitalize some of our housing stock by looking at lower cost, smaller homes? The problem is we still need to change the zoning. There are setback requirements. There are footage requirements. And because of that, you wouldn't be able to build on an empty lot. Uh, and if you were to build based on code, you're probably looking at two or three times more than you would in a smaller home. Wow. Didn't realize that. So do, do you have a timeline for when the process is going to begin for those updates? So we, our team has just been uh, working on the RFP. We've got to send that out for bid uh, in order to uh, get the contractor that's going to help us with that process. Uh, once that uh, bid, which usually takes about 30 days, is open, we'll then engage with the contractor uh, who will then start to not only review the current code, but then start public hearings and public meetings to uh, better understand how each neighborhood should look based on the people that live there. Mm-hmm. So the Strategic Planning and Partnership Commission last met in January 2020, and according to uh, City Code, the commission is supposed to be part of the budget process, planning process. Is there, I, I well, I understand that it's it's like a city council kind of led commission. Do you have any plans to call them to meet in order to be part of the zoning or comprehensive plan process? Yeah, so the, the Strategic Planning Commission did meet uh, before COVID, pre-COVID, and we had some really great discussions on trying to share data between organizations. And unfortunately, once COVID hit, it, it really started to uh, close down some of those opportunities. Uh, we've not yet uh, reappointed any chairs uh, for those positions. Uh, and that's a discussion that I think uh, President Dolce and I will, will need to have. And we've, we've had some uh, brief discussions about it on what that could look like. There's typically a, um, a chair that's appointed by the mayor and another chair that's appointed by the city council that's supposed to represent both you know, government interest and outside interest. Uh, the Strategic Planning Commission alone will really have to do some outreach because there are so many new players uh, that are part of it. Right. It's supposed to include members of the school district. It's supposed to include members of large organizations, uh, some of which may not even be there anymore after COVID. Uh, so we really need to go through that and figure out who will be engaged in this process going forward uh, and whether we think it makes sense to continue to have that committee. 
In terms of, and it sounds, we've kind of jumped around a lot of different topics, but this this is also part of the state of the city. So do you, in terms of uh, outside the cannabis, and what are some of your other economic development agenda items for this year? Yeah, we've been really big on trying to attract green manufacturing in the city, and we've had some really incredible success. Uh, we have, obviously, Electrovia is coming, which is a battery assembly and manufacturer. Uh, although it's right outside the city, it will employ a lot of people in the city and also be part of the BPU's footprint, uh, which we're very excited about. Uh, we've had conversations with developers that are looking at, uh, you know, potential operations that uh, convert waste into methane. We have uh, we've had conversations about additional uh, battery manufacturers. Uh, we've talked about other ways that we can re- retool our current manufacturers, right, to focus on a new economy. So we've been very, very focused in working hand in hand with the BPU because that's such a huge asset. And that's almost always the question manufacturers have, which is how's, how's your power looking and how's your water looking? Uh, so we've been really working on trying to attract those green companies. Uh, and so going forward, that has been our focus, right? And we know that that's what the United States is going to need, right? At some point, we're going to see more and more companies remove their operations from China and other foreign places and try to reshore them back in the US. Uh, And we wanna make sure Jamestown is on the forefront of that. And those companies are probably gonna have to go green at some point, right? And retool for a new generation. uh, And uh, that is what we're focusing on. So we're really playing a long game here uh, in recognizing that we know something's gonna be coming uh, and we want that to be here in Jamestown. Mm -hmm. Moving on to slightly different topic, there's something else that council members they brought up in regard to um, state of city address. We know that, you know, if anybody who pays any attention to city government and um, and financial um, goings on, that the city is in a very good fin- financial state right now. There has been tax increases. There, you know, the the, the surplus is it's looking good. Fund balance is looking great. Uh, you had made a comment at the beginning of your state of city address about how the city was on the brink of a control board when you took office, and both Council President Tony Dolce and Council Member at Large Kim Eklund took issue with that statement saying it was factually incorrect. Can you explain like your thinking in terms of like that statement about the control board? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, it's no secret that when uh, I took office uh, back in early 2020 uh, and in 2019, uh, we were at our constitutional tax limit. We could not tax any more. So that either means we got rid of services or we asked the state to step in and help us. Uh, we knew that the state's additional funding that was the city was being receiving was going to go away at some point because we were receiving an additional million dollars from the state uh, each year to help us with some of those things. So it was really it really put us in a very difficult position of what do we cut? Do we cut our police officers stopping gun violence? Do we cut our poli- our firefighters? Do we cut our, our street workers that are plowing? What do we cut? Uh, and it was a very difficult time when we first took over. Sure, there was a bit of a fund balance, but you know, you're going to have to allocate that to fund your regular government services. So in 2020, we were in a very difficult spot. Um, I'm proud to say now in 2023, we have one of the largest fund balances that we've had in decades. Uh, we have an incredible gap uh, in terms of taxation right now. We could increase taxes, which I don't want to do and have not done in any of my time as mayor. Uh, and we've kind of we've kept them flat and continued adding services. 
Uh, so I've been very proud of that. I've been proud of the work that our team has done to, to plan for it. Um, and, I'm, and I'm even more proud to say that I was looking at the numbers of taxation between Ellicott, Jamestown, Carroll, Kind Tone the other day. Uh, and it's crazy to think, but because Ellicott and other places have already done reassessments, uh, you're actually paying less in taxes in Jamestown on a home than you would in other communities around us. So it's really turning Jamestown into not only a really strong real estate market, and we're seeing that with investors buying properties here, with people purchasing new homes, selling and purchasing, uh, but has put the city in a really strong position uh, to continue forward. Now, it's not to say we aren't without challenges because we've had the rescue plan funds, which have helped us catch up. But we know, and when we plan, and particularly when I plan for budgets each year, we don't plan for the rescue funds. Right? Those are funds that we use to buy the additional things. Uh, so we've been working very hard, and I'm, I'm very proud of the work that our team has done the last four years to put the city in a financial position it has not seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Are there specific criteria that the state sets out for what um, would create a situation where a city or a municipality would have to be put under a control board? So uh, when we started, we were under a a fiscally distressed city status under the comptroller's office for the state of New York. Um, And as of, I think it was 2020, end of 2020 or beginning of 2021, we were completely removed from that list. Uh, So typically, if you're on that fiscally distressed city list, which we had been on um, for several years before I took office, uh, those are the things that uh, you start. The state starts to look and say, "Well, you know what? Maybe a control board is a better option for you." That's the same route that happened in Buffalo and happened in Erie County. Uh, they were fiscally distressed for many, many years, and uh, due to that, it was ultimately better for a control board to come in. Uh, now, one of the concerns that we also had is we had none of the union contracts had yet to be settled. Right, we were in active litigation against them. Um, since my time as mayor, they're all settled. Every single one has been settled. We've moved. We've moved forward uh, on something that we can all agree on, uh, and it's just put us in a better position to be able to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. One of the things you mentioned uh, in in there is that you knew that you were going to be losing some state funding, and that brings us to next topic. Uh, we heard the state's uh, budget proposal for 2024 from Governor Hochul this week, and uh, one of the things that I was looking for and hadn't found was if there was any increase in the aim, the uh, aid and incentives for municipalities from state. So, is there any increase in that funding for municipalities around New York State? Gosh, I wish. <laughs> so uh, as, as you pointed out, we received an additional million dollars every year. That went away last year. Uh, we were not able to eligible to receive it with the uh, rescue plan funds. Uh, but the aid to municipalities is something that our uh, New York Conference of Mayors, which advocates on behalf of the city and lobbies on behalf of the city, uh, has been requesting because it has not changed for quite a long time. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking over a decade uh, and, you know, granted it, it was done per capita and some of those things have changed, uh, but the city hasn't lost that much in the last decade uh, enough to, to change it uh, dramatically. But more importantly, um, we haven't seen any type of cost of living adjustment uh, in that. So we've stated about uh, 4.5, 4.6 million around there uh, each year, and it stayed the same for a very long time. Uh, And it's something that we've been asking the state, uh, the New York Conference of Mayors, uh, to increase, right? Uh, School districts are getting record amounts of funding and 
Trust me, I think that schools deserve it, but they also have a property tax base, right? And in some cases, uh, that property tax base is more than they're getting from the state. Uh, and uh, the, the state has consistently left cities out. Uh, so when, they, when we provide services to do state roads, that hasn't changed since the 80s. Uh, when we provide general services for police, for fire, for public safety, that comes through our AIM payment and others, general municipal services, and that hasn't changed for over a decade. Mm-hmm. It's a, in terms of other items that you may have heard of from the state budget, is there anything that you're seeing that could benefit this area? Well, we certainly know that there's going to be funding coming down the pipeline for home building and home repair. So we're very excited about that. Still to be determined how that's going to look. Uh, But I will say that um, under Governor Hochul, there has been uh, an incredible amount of investment in western New York, and in particular in Chautauqua County. Now, we've seen our our neighbor to the north, Dunkirk, just received $10 million. Uh, The city of Jamestown back in 2016 was the first recipient of that $10 million. Uh, And we are continuing to see the state invest money into Jamestown uh, into Chautauqua County. Uh, and that's certainly a positive thing as we continue forward. Mm-hmm. I think under public safety, I noticed that there seemed to be that there was going to be maybe more funding for the GIVE program, which the city of Jamestown is a participant in that program. Uh, do you know how, how much are we getting currently for that program here? Do you know? You know, I unfortunately don't have that number right offhand. Uh, it has stayed the same for uh, quite a number of years, uh, but certainly it's been an effect, very effective program. Uh, I was just looking at the numbers the other day. Actually, uh, gun-related incidents has gone down in the city of Jamestown. And I think that's uh, due to a lot of work of agencies coming together, working with the Jamestown Police Department uh, to really focus on uh, the players in that sphere and to try to reduce the amount of gun violence we're seeing. Uh, And so that's really a positive trend uh, that we're we're happy about. And that means that uh, our police department and all of their partners are doing their job to keep our streets safe. Is there anything else that you would like to add for today? No, we're just really excited. Well, I'll be, I'll be excited when the snow starts to go away, but we're excited uh, to see that, uh, you know, we've we've gotten through the holidays. We started a new year. I can't believe we're already into February, uh, but, you know, certainly we're, we're I am hopeful uh, that this will be a great year uh, and there's a lot of change coming and we have such a resilient and incredible community Uh, that has really risen to the challenge every time we've asked. And so I've been thankful for that and hopeful for this year. Mayor Sunquist, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks, Julia.